Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Brock Wagner from St. Arnold Brewing Company coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She is the blogger behind SwankyMaven.com, Felice Sloan. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, 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 hey. How are you, E? I'm doing wonderful. I'm doing very well. It's nice to see you. Good to see you, too. I feel like I haven't seen you in a long time. However, I just saw you last week. You saw me at Truffle Masters. Right, yes. But it feels like a lifetime. <laughs> a lifetime. All right. Well, we're going to talk about Truffle Masters in a little bit, but... Uh, let us start off with the news of the week, starting with topic number one, Rise Number Two, the souffle restaurant in Boulevard Place, has closed. The owner, headed Dowd, issued a statement that reads in part, we always strive to have Rise become a part of each community we serve. Our goal is always to make Rise an overall experience so that the guest will find Rise isn't your occasion place, it's your daily place. In the end, that was not to be the case for Rise Number Two. Felice, let me just throw it to you. Did you go? To, had you been to Rise in the four years that it was open? Yes, I've went a couple of times. Okay. And um, I will say, I have a couple of things. I want to comment on the little shady. Um, well, I want you to comment on it. That's yeah, why I okay. read. Okay. So the shade with that. Let, let's start with blaming. <laughs> I mean, I think it's great that he made a statement. Let's start with that. So a lot of people don't make a statement. Right. So thank you for the statement. Um, I don't appreciate the shade thrown that, you know, we rise up and doesn't seem like the case. How about being accountable for picking a horrible location? Let's start with that. Well, is I, it? Yes, it is. Now, the 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 property be is not horrible yeah i was because you got to be careful because yeah, that property well, that's why i'm like i'm gonna clear it up okay so where they're located at the property you have to find it like every when i'm telling people how to get there and they've never been there before you can't like, just okay. say it's right above ninfas i mean yeah but they still it's in the corner like it's it's still in the corner you don't see it it's right above true food kitchen again i'm telling you i'm i'm telling you it's it's been an issue Okay. It's hidden. It's not just out there. Because like, on the other side of that, that North Italia in it's on the it's also at Boulevard Place. On the on the bottom location when you're coming in, you can see it. Yeah. It's that's one of the busiest Norths right. in the entire Empire of North. And that's why I checked myself. That's why I had to clear it up. North, I mean, they have prime real estate. Sure. Rice did not have prime real estate. Maybe they paid prime real estate prices. They might have. But they should have fought for a different location. That's I've always said if they're not successful, one of the things is it's they're in a ter it's a terrible location. Right. Second floor spaces for whatever reason, mm -hmm. even with signage, even in a location that's fine for a first floor restaurant, it does seem to be problematic for people. Yeah. I'm like, and then it's just tucked away. Like it's it just seems like a not for them, it seems like an afterthought because it's a beautiful location. The food, every single time I I went there, I love the souffles. They gave you um, their regular souffles. They had seasonal souffles. So the food, I can say, was consistent, never an issue, great service. But, um, well, yeah, it just... I, I mean, I have to tell you, it never occurred to me that the souffle restaurant would be my, quote, daily place. Because there's just not that it's just not that often that I think to eat souffle. I would I would agree. Yeah, not a daily. Like um, I think that they're probably doing better in Dallas because that's where they originated. Sure. And you know, I mean, you know, you have the Real Housewives of Dallas. They want to be extra. Even they're already extra. They want to be extra. So you know, maybe daily they're eating souffles. That's not how we roll in H Town. Okay, that's just not that's not us. Right, the savory <laughs> souffle. I I mean, it had never was not something I had really thought about before. Rise open. Now I do I do like a good dessert souffle. Yes, but that is 
that is definitely special occasion territory. Right. And then the other part, let's go to the other part, the community. I don't I didn't see a whole lot of stuff them with them doing in the community. Mm-hmm. I never even saw them at events, but if that's what y'all are going to say, okay, we're going to roll with it, okay? <laughs> yeah, we're going to rise above that comment. How about that? Oh. <laughs> boom. The shade. The shade. All right. Topic number 2. The space that is home to Yawacha for about another two weeks. Not much more than that. Um, Actually, less than that by the time this podcast comes out. Uh, Will not stay empty for long. It has already been claimed. A restaurant called Joey from Calgary, Canada, has claimed it for their first Texas location. Joey, uh, I I traded some emails with, with, with Joey people. They describe it as an upscale casual restaurant with a focus on service and atmosphere super eclectic menu you know everything from like sushi and hummus to steaks to on you know salads to a little bit of italian some asian stuff i mean all kinds of like big menu let me let me throw it to you here did you you you're you're in the same state that I'm in. I assume you have never they they have some Joey's on the West Coast. I I assume you're like me and that you've never been to one. Never been to one till you know you you talked about it and I'm like okay I'm they they I'm 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 into it considering we're talking about real estate. They're going into a prime location, right? So I, that makes it even more interesting because I'm like they're going into the Galleria and I tried to look it up and the food. It it works. I just, I, I don't know anything about it. So I'm kind of excited. And one of the questions I think that you posed, um, how will they, they're right across from another restaurant, Cheesecake Factory, right, as you said. Yes, yes. So they're going to be directly across the driveway from the Cheesecake Factory, yeah. which is another kind of upscale casual restaurant with a really big menu mm-hmm. that serves a whole bunch of different things. And I... I floated this this weekend to someone and I don't remember I don't remember who I was speaking with who said, Oh no, I've been to a Joey and it's more elegant. Like the decor is thinking. nicer, the food's a little more refined. It's not it's not it's it's different than the Cheesecake Factory. That's what I was thinking. It's probably what the Cheesecake Factory used to be when you said experience, atmosphere. Cheesecake Factory to me is like a high end Bennigan's today. I mean, it really is. Well, and I have to admit, it has been many years since I've been to a Cheesecake mm-hmm. Factory I, I, or even Grand Lux, its sister restaurant. It has been quite some time. So, yeah, it's and I, I mean, and just give me a comparison to Bennigan's, meaning you're in and out. It's not. I just it's not. It's it, not. It doesn't fe- feel like it's being prepared fresh. It's kind of slopped on a plate. Right. It's not an experience. It's, you know, so that is from thinking about what you've said and what what feedback you've gotten, I think that'll be the difference. Um, when I want to go out and I want experience, I want good food, I want good service, I think Joey's is going to be it. Yeah, it'll be interesting if, you know, we have another Canadian concept here in the Galleria area in Moxie's, the sports bar. So, and, and I think that's been pretty successful. You know, my my visits there, it's usually pretty crowded. I think the food is... You know, the, the menu's a little bit hit or miss, but there are certainly some strong elements to it. And they've definitely created a an atmosphere, a high energy, yeah. you know, kind of got to be there aspect to it. So, And they have great customer service. They I've do. There. It's, it's definitely good customer service. Right. So if Joey, you know, not that they're related by ownership or anything like that, they just, they share that geography. But if Joey can bring some of that polish, if they, if, if part of what's inspiring them to choose Houston is that they, they saw the success that Moxie's has had and are thinking, oh, well, we compete with them in, you know, Vancouver and Toronto and Calgary, like we can, you know, we can hold our own in Houston too, then I think that's all to the good. I'm with it. I'm with it. Bring it on. We're here for it, Joey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no real timeline on that quite yet because they're they're not even going to get into the space until March, and then it's just a question of how long it takes to build it. But 
you know, I am gonna I'm gonna miss that Yawacha space. It was one of the prettier dining rooms in Houston. I'll be curious I'm to miss see it. I'm gonna what they do with it. it. I love you know, I mean, I'm just kinda sad. We've already talked about this, but I'm very sad that it's going away. Um, yeah, count down the days. So when you said, Oh, lesson two, like why do you have to say that? Because it's gonna be gone. So I'm soon. gonna go. It's gonna be gone soon. So I'm going to go one. I went um, and had tea like two weeks ago. So I'm going to go have tea again and a meal before they go. One last round of those uh, scallop uh, scallop shumai with the uh, with the uh, caviar on top. Yeah. One, you know, one last time of uh, my bougie afternoons, I call them, (laughs) you know, tea and caviar. Yeah. What what's not to like? All right. And finally, topic number three. Houston has another new HEB. This one is in Meyerland. It replaces, so they they had like a 15, 20,000 square foot store at the corner of Brazewood and Chimney Rock that flooded during Hurricane Harvey. They made the decision to close that. They relocated to Meyerland Plaza and they replaced it with 95,000 square feet of HEB. Two story, it's, it's similar in configuration to the locations in uh, Bel Air and the Heights. Uh, the big difference is they have tailored this to the neighborhood. There are, according to HEB, there are 11 synagogues within four miles of their location. So it has a really extensive selection of kosher products, uh, fresh kosher meat, all kinds of kosher dairy, you know, dry items, candies, cereals, noodles, all that stuff. Just a, a, a very intense, the, kosher seafood kosher sushi they're even they even have a they, they toured us through the you know the behind the scenes the, mm. the the working areas they have a kosher produce production room where they are making kosher guacamole wow and there's a kosher bakery for kosher tortillas so, so look, you can buy your kosher skirt steak and grill that up and then put it on a kosher, kosher tortilla, tortilla with kosher wow. guacamole now you can't top it with cheese or sour cream because that's but that's, that's okay. not kosher it's okay, you know, it's, well, is it okay? Like, is it okay? I mean, the guacamole gives you... Right, the, the creaminess. Extra, the yeah, creaminess. you don't need... I, I've always thought cheese and sour cream were superfluous on fajitas. Me too. I'm like, you don't need... I mean, you can have it, but if you... if I don't... I wouldn't miss it if it's not there. I, I never add it. I right. never add it. Right, so I don't... I mean... So I'm gonna take I'm gonna take over your role because you know you're yeah yeah I think I, I was just gonna say we need to flip flop. I'm gonna for a flip minute. it. So Eric, um, what does this mean to you? Well, what 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 what? How big is this for you? Well, I, I mean, to me, it is not. It's not a particularly big deal personally because I I don't cook very much and I don't keep kosher. But for the Jewish community of Houston, it is a very important addition uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, because Belden's, which had supplied the community with a lot of its uh, kosher meat specifically right. and other kosher products just closed. So probably because of the H E they couldn't compete with well, the H E. I mean there's there's a lot of factors that contribute right. You know more broadly, right, Meyerland is a community that flooded three times in three years, right? They had the Memorial Day flood and the tax day flood and then Hurricane Harvey that really swamped a lot of people out. And and I know uh, personally, anecdotally, you know, older families, you know, the, the parents of, of my peers, right, who, who may have kept their homes in that neighborhood, that was the final straw, right? They moved, sold their houses, you know, a lot of them moved to high rises or other parts of Houston. And so the neighborhood is in this moment of transition. And, you know, one of the reasons Belden says they closed is because their sales had declined so much after Hurricane Harvey. They couldn't, they wasn't economically viable. So for HEB to make a big commitment to the neighborhood with this beautiful new massive store that caters specifically to the Jewish community and other people, they have, they have some stuff for their, you know, Central American people of Central American heritage and, and some other elements, but, but they're making a big commitment to the Jewish community with this store. You know, it's, it's important and it's, and it's worth recognizing. Now, you know, there are, there are some, I, I have heard some concerns from people who have visited the store. There are, you know, maybe the product mix isn't quite right yet. You know, maybe there are But that's the great thing about H-E-B, missing. though. You know, like, if they're catering to any neighborhood, let's just, 
wherever the, they're catering and there's um they're missing something as a customer you go in there and you're like hey i need to get xyz because you don't have it they'll order it in well and and you know? i have communicated that to people yeah. and, and i've even Use your voice. you know i met i met Hugh Sintic, who's the general manager of the store I have his email address. I've shared that with a couple of people because fundamentally I think H E B wants to get this product mix right. Sure. And, you know, this is you know, the spring is when Passover happens. So getting, you know, there's there's regular kosher and then there's kosher for Passover that has its own set of rules and its own set of products. So, you know, this will be H E B's first Passover in Meyerland and Belden's had a wonderful selection of kosher for Passover items. And so I'm I'm putting this out there on the pod in the hopes that someone from HEB or their PR firm or whoever is listening and that they get the mix of products right for Passover because that more than anything will be a huge affirmative step to the to building right. uh, a productive long-term relationship with the community. Right. And I think, you know, um to your point HEB needs to hear that but folks in the community, you know, they need to use their voice. One of the things that HEB is big on, and I think in the last couple of years we've seen that, is we're your HEB, right? Like they go into these underserved communities and provide grocery stores, and they want to hear from the community, what do you need from us? So people can't, I hate when people complain about not having X, Y, Z, and then you have it and they want to hear your voice and no one's using it, but they want to gripe. So I'm not saying that this is the case, but they want to hear from you. So help them get this right. Well, you know, for I, you. I you mean, know, for Passover, that's a big deal. Right. You know, as we, you know, there's the, the Yiddish word fetch, right? It sort of means like to complain. So, you know, and anyone who's watched, Anyone who's watched Curb Your Enthusiasm understands that there is like a there's something sort of not 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 all Jewish people, but it is it is it is sort of stereotypically exaggerated on shows like Curb Your Enthusiasm or in Woody Allen movies or whatever that that kind of that kind of griping is right. is is central to the the Jewish character, so to speak. Certain in in you know exaggerated, but right, but you know it's a thing. So. You know, so the idea is like, you can't just fetch. You have to actually <laughs> act, uh, because obviously H E B has made a huge financial commitment to the neighborhood, and they want to get this stuff right. And so it's just a matter of being constructive with your feedback and giving them the opportunity to respond. But yeah, I think I think this is this is a big deal, and you know, there's there's just not another. There are other grocery stores that sell kosher items or even other grocery stores that sell a certain amount of kosher meat. But comprehensively, this is the largest selection of kosher items in any one store. And so Jews from all over Houston are going to shop there. And so it's just a matter of, you know, H-E-B like, you know, like, like having made the commitment, now they have to keep up with it. Right. And so, you know, we'll see. I mean, we say that a lot on the show, but... You know, the, I think certainly it it's, right. a, it's a step in the right direction. Absolutely. I think they'll get it right. All right. I'm cheering for them. All right, Felice, that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurant of the week. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? So, Felice, for our restaurant of the week, I want to talk to you about the new Dackenbop. Uh, they call it the Heights. Jason Cho, the owner of Dak and Bob, calls it his Heights location. Uh, that is, it's on West 18th Street near T.C. Jester and Ella, which if you call that the Heights, Heights people get really mad. So out of deference to them, we will say that that is Lazy Brook Timber Grove. That's what we'll call it then. Uh, it is, it's, it's Heights adjacent. Yes, Heights adjacent. Heights we'll area. Yes. Um. And it represents a, a, a pretty comprehensive upgrade from the original Dackenbop that is in the museum district in the sense that Jason has brought on a new chef, Jordan Economy, who's been, I mean, you know, you could, you could, you could slip in the I've Been Everywhere Man song underneath this little section of the conversation. Be Jordan. <laughs> because Jordan has worked at, he was on the opening crew for Traveler's Table. 
He was at the opening crew for Doris Metropolitan. Uh, he was at Rudyard's before Anthony Callio. He had a hot minute at Prohibition. I remember seeing him on the Eatsy Boys food truck at the 8th Wonder Brewery. I didn't even know that. Okay. I, I mean, Jordan, Jordan is a well-traveled guy who I think maybe has finally found a home making fusion and Korean food. And so they're playing around with, with some Italian, some Italian elements that, you know, just don't exist at the original Dakin Bob. So for example, there's pastas, there's flatbreads, you know, which kind of makes sense considering they took the former La Vista 101 space that had a pizza oven and, and had some of these, the equipment necessary to make these dishes. So, all right, enough from me. <laughs> you went to Dak and Bob. I did. How was your meal? I thought it was good. I enjoyed the experience. I, as you say, it's an upgrade. You know, I, I like an experience. I love the space, how it looked. And the food was joyful. It was joyful food. It made me happy. The thing that I really appreciated is that they went there and offered a complete, a different menu than the other location. So you can, I mean, of course, they still have the Korean fried chicken. Right. The you Korean, have to have right, that they on both, both menus. Right, both locations have the Korean fried <laughs> you chicken. You have to have that on both menus. Yeah. That is not going anywhere, right. and it's good. I mean, it is it is, good, it is yes. very good Korean fried chicken. But I like the fact that um, if you're a fan, because a lot of restaurants in New York do this, instead of duplicating the same menu, they just, okay, this is for this location, this is for this location. If you're a fan of both, you know, they're getting getting your business all the way around. So I enjoyed that. Um, one of my favorite I saw when you went, because we didn't get to go together. So I saw this um, garlic bread concoction. I didn't know what it was, but I know it looked delicious. So it is utterly ridiculous. It is a torta loaf that they okay. kind of cut open. They stuff it with cream cheese and mascarpone, and then they dip the whole thing in garlic butter. Yeah, so and that's what it looked. It, it looked, the way you just described it, it looked like that, and it just looked like my body would just fall in love like my body when you eat it you know when you eat something and your whole body just eats the meal and you're just like you sink into it when I saw that I'm like oh my gosh so unfortunately I couldn't get that because you got it and I'm like oh Eric got that we weren't together damn it what am I gonna get right so what did you get what did I you went like? for the soul fries to, okay you know because it looked very they had the smoked kimchi and um like all these sauce all the sauces and the the pork and you know I was kind of like well I mean this looks decadent it did not disappoint when I tell you I couldn't stop eating it it re it, it put me in the mind of like bad food that was really good yeah um to the point where who, how often do, you know, when you're eating fries, you never, you can't warm up fries. You don't get the fries to go. Yeah, I got them to go. I got it to go. And it comes with um, an egg on the top. So I got them to go. I left half and um, I did an egg the next day. I put them in the oven and I was very happy. So that made me happy. I also went for a pasta dish. I went for... I can't remember the name. Let me go pull it back up. You went for bulgogi ragu. I went for bulgogi ragu. And um, I, the young lady told me sh I should try the pizza because that was the bulgogi pizza. But I'm like, well, no, let's go for the pasta because I wanted to do a pasta dish. And um, that didn't disappoint either. I mean, I thought yeah, that I mean, I had I had a seafood yakisoba, which is basically shrimp scampi with a whole bunch of other stuff in it. Yeah. Um, very tasty, like, you know, very compared buttery, to, very rich. Compared to regular skim, uh, shrimp scampi, what? Well, so, I mean, what's nice is they, they add octopus, calamari, scallops. Um, you know, they hit it with the soju garlic butter. I mean, I just, you know, it's just a very flavorful, you know, I mean, that's a classic dish. It's, yeah. it's kind of a, a Korean accented take on it and and a very flavorful one. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And it's funny, I went on, on a Saturday. It was packed. Like, I went early enough where I'm like, oh, okay. But as I got all my food, of course, then I also got Korean fried chicken as well. As you, you know, must. That takes 
Well, you know, as I should. It takes about 15 or 20 minutes. And um, it was packed. So I think they're going to, they're off to a wonderful start. Um, yeah, I thought it was delicious. Right. And then the one other thing that unites both locations, Zach and Bob, uh, solid craft beer selection, creative cocktails, Asian whiskeys, all that good stuff. Yes. They had a, a cocktail with a Thai tea. And I was going to take the Thai tea out and do it like add a whiskey to it. But it's already, they already kind of make it up. Like they make it boozy. Then they add their, their kind of mix to it. Delicious. So I love the cocktails. The cocktails comp, definitely complement even the old fashioned and the Manhattan. They do their take to complement the dishes with that Korean take on it. Well, those, yeah. So. so you'll go back. I will definitely go back. And I'm thinking, like, so would I go, which location would I go to? I would go to the new location. Absolutely. All right. And then uh, before you get out of here, uh, I don't want to dwell. I, you know, talking about a food event a week after it happened is always a little bit problematic. But did you have a couple of favorite bites from Truffle Masters? I did. I enjoyed Chef um, Kieran, Chef Karen Kieran's. Did this goat cheese ice cream? Yeah, and it was like an ice cream sandwich with um, truffle. Ugh, I don't really, you know, I don't do sweets like that. I'd like. Well, stuff. this was more savory. I it mean, that, the savory. goat cheese gives it a tang. Oh my gosh! I was like, I went back twice. That and then um, I thought the tamale. Um, yeah, Kenny Lopez from Killen's SDQ. I thought they got cheated a little bit on the awards. Yeah, I was surprised that that didn't finish in the top four. Um, because he put truffle in the masa for the tamale. He filled it with huilacoche and cremini mushrooms, and then he made a white queso that he put more truffle in. Yeah, it, it was a slam dunk. Officially ridiculous. What yeah. was your favorite? That was so. That was one of my favorites. And then, you know, I thought uh, Aaron Bluedorn of uh, the upcoming. Well, it doesn't. It doesn't really have a name yet. But but you know, <laughs> the former Cafe Baloo executive chef. He did that uh, puff pastry filled with uh, chicken and crawfish and a little oh, that was, yeah. a little truffle. I thought that was really nice. Um, you know, uh, mad one with that truffle chocolate lollipop. That was uh, that yeah. was very tasty. I hate that I didn't try it. I was scared of it. I was like, oh, let me wait and go get something else. And I never made it back around. Yeah. You know, but you know what? The benefit of talking about a food event that's passed, people, it sells out every year. It is one of the best food events in Houston. Every year I say that. It is one of my favorite food events. If you like truffles, and it, it gives you the opportunity to see um, some of the best chefs in Houston, their creative side. Right. I mean, you know, Robert Del Grande from Annie Cafe was making uh, truffle pimento cheese sandwiches. Yeah. You know, so it, it's, not always, it's not always that it's like, super like avant-garde it's it's like sometimes it's just like good solid food um all right so felice thank you uh thanks for being here thanks for having me and i can't wait to see what we talk about next month all right and i will be right back with brock wagner you're listening to what's eric eating i'm joined this week by brock wagner he is the founder of st arnold brewing company Brock, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Eric. Thanks for being here. I have to say you are you are one of the people that inspired me to start this podcast because I think we sat down for an interview three or four years ago before I, before, well, it's got to be more than three years ago because I started this podcast three years ago, but but it was, it was a long interview and I asked you about a whole bunch of topics uh, and then I just, but it's a lot to read. You know, when I, when I talk to someone for half an hour and transcribe that into 2500 words it's a big commitment for people i feel like i feel like the pod is is a more user-friendly way to enjoy this content it's easier to enjoy a beer while listening to a podcast yes absolutely um so let me i I mean i usually start at the beginning with people but i feel like people kind of know the story of saint arnold at this point so so let me shift gears slightly the company has grown so much, uh, especially in the last five or 10 years. Like, how would you describe what your like day-to-day role is at this point? My role today is one of really strategy. Uh, we have a, an amazing team of coworkers that I get to go to work with every day. And they're really good at what they do. They're passionate. 
they, uh, you know, they were a highly collaborative organization. So we kind of get together, talk about what kind of things we're going to do, and then they all go do them and enjoy the autonomy of kind of getting to, you know, be entrepreneurial in their own way within the business. So I would say that um, I have the best job in the world. I, I get to do all the fun strategy things, and then everybody else makes it happen. It, I will say that, uh, you know, in working on strategy, it's not me in an ivory tower by myself. It comes from lots of conversations w- with everybody that I work with also. Sure. I mean, did you ever imagine when you were, you know, schlepping those first cakes to the ginger man, like that you would be where you are today? Uh, no, <laughs> not <laughs> at all. Um, you know, in, in the early days, you know, I was brewing, bottling, cleaning the floors, filtering, doing the accounting, um, you know, giving the tour, then selling you the pint glass or pouring you the beer on the tour. You'd find me standing in Kroger on a Saturday, handing out samples. I didn't even have time to think about, you know, doing doing it a different way. But no, I had never imagined it would that St. Arnold would become what it has become. So let's talk a little bit about what St. Arnold is right now. I mean, you're you have this campus downtown now. You opened the restaurant, St. Arnoldville. I like to refer to it. <laughs> Right. I mean, it's because it's more than just a brewery. You, you added the restaurant, the beer garden a couple of years ago. Um, I mean, how do you sort of assess where you are in terms of uh, all the various components of the, the business these days? Yeah. We have achieved everything that I ever set out to do. Really, the last kind of main dream I had was having a beer garden. And we've put that in place. And it's an amazing spot. Uh yeah, the food that Chef Ryan does and the, the whole team in the kitchen just puts out top-notch food. Uh, people, I get so many comments about people are shocked at, at the food that they get. It's like, wow, I wasn't expecting that and the service and all that. So uh, I've kind of told our team that really I've accomplished all of my dreams and but they haven't accomplished all of their dreams. So I view my role as almost more to help facilitate everybody else to achieve the things that they want to achieve. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember sitting with you in the restaurant uh, right around the time it opened, you had made a, a big financial commitment, not just to, to building the facility, but to buying the street and closing it down to allow everything to be on one property. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how quickly that became just a destination for people. It just seems like every weekend, you know, every time I drive past it, it looks like, you know, the parking lot's full. People are there. I see it on social media, people having beers in the beer garden, watching sporting events. I mean, it, it's got to feel pretty good. Uh, yeah, thanks. Yeah. It's, it's really gratifying. I mean, there's nothing I've, that is more satisfying than going up there seeing a family and friends hanging out together, having a great time, you know, enjoying our beer, enjoying our food, uh, you know, having, you know, creating a space that brings people together. That really is a passion for me. And so it, it is satisfying seeing, seeing what, what the beer garden has become. And it, and it seems like, you know, you've sort of inspired, other local breweries to sort of take the plunge and create kind of their own spaces. I mean, that's, what do you, I mean, what do you think of this trend where increasingly breweries are becoming destinations for people? Well, I would actually take a step back on that and say it, I think a lot of the little breweries that are opening up around town helped inspire us to do the beer garden. Um, when we got the law changed in 2013, we were set up under the old laws and that's what we'd built our business around. And we'd made a really cool beer hall. Um, and we rented it out in the evenings. Right. Specifically, this was before people could buy a a beer at a brewery to drink at the brewery. That is correct. So technically before 2013, 
we always gave beer away. Right. right. You bought the tour, but the beer was free. Correct. And you know, that was kind of the business model we came up under. If you came to the brewery before 2006 and went on a tour, you didn't pay anything. Even We didn't even have the tour charge back then. Um, and we were getting about 200 people Saturday. Clearly, that was a very bad business model. <laughs> but when all the new breweries started opening, a lot of them had outdoor space, and that was something we didn't have. And we realized, both because we already had commitments, you know, a year in advance for people to have rented out the beer hall. So we couldn't just open it up and say, Hey, we're going to be open up on Tuesday and Saturday evening, but we're going to be closed on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That didn't really work. So we needed to build a very specific seven day a week location. And we really wanted to have that outdoor component because people who aren't from Houston are shocked to find out that people in Houston like to sit outside and drink beer and they like to sit outside and drink beer in you know February when it is beautiful and it might be cold up north we also like to sit outside in July when it's 95 degrees um, not directly in the sun at that moment but right shaded fans the whole thing yeah but yeah it's it, you know we make it work we are an outdoor culture here so and we didn't have that element so I would you know compliment all the little you know, all the breweries that started up after us is kind of helping push us uh, on doing that. And let's, let's talk about the, the beers you're brewing. I mean, I looked at the, the year round lineup. I, I realized it's, it's growing more quickly than I can keep track of it. Yeah. So we still have the mainstays, you know, fancy lawnmower beer. Our, our seasonals are still going strong. Um, art car is still growing rapidly, but today you are seeing more and more, of a lifespan on beer brands. They come out, they're out for a few years. Uh, they're popular. They start to go down a little bit. You replace them with something else. And so you're seeing this kind of cycle of brands occur a little bit more often. We, we like it when the brands stick around for a long time, by the way. <laughs> so like, what are, what are a couple of examples of a couple of beers that you've retired and, and what's kind of new on, on shelves for people? Well, certainly this year you saw we retired our winter seasonal, which was White Noise, which had replaced Winter Stout. And this we replaced those beers this year with Texas Winter IPA, which was a huge hit. Um, uh, Weed Whacker and Ale Wagger, which was formerly known as Brown Ale, both of those have been discontinued. And uh, Endeavor Double IPA was one that we got... A, many emails about and people say, why did you stop? Why did you, you kill that beer? It's like, we didn't, you did. Right. You didn't buy enough of it. This is uh, this is, this is like, Oh, I miss Astrodome. It's like, when was the last time you went there? Yeah, exactly. It, you know, the, the way it works is if sales drop below a certain level, then the grocery stores will cut it out of their sets and then it's not there anymore. And then once it enough stores cut it out, and sales drop below a certain point, we have a batch size, and if making a single batch suddenly is last, will last five months, well, you don't want to drink five-month-old Endeavor Double IPA, so it goes away. That's what happens. Yeah, and so what are a couple of the new beers that you've, you've rolled out in the last six months or so? Uh, so let's see. We have, um, other than the Texas winter, we have Guten Tag, that recently came out, which is a very traditional German Märzen. It's actually become one of my go-to beers. It's uh, just Munich malt. We do a decocted mash, and it's rich but elegant and just very, very enjoyable and drinkable. Um, the uh, We have the return of one of our... Uh, sort of extreme or divine reserve number 18. <laughs> I start to lose track, which was we internally, we called it Bain stout, but it's going to be called commitment. And that comes out next week. And it's a 13% uh, Imperial stout and brewing a 13% beer is tricky because yeast doesn't actually like to get 
to that high of an alcohol level. So you have to do some fermentation tricks to kind of fool the yeast to get there. Um, and you just came out with a new Bishop's Barrel, I think, what, like last week? Yes. So we constantly have new things coming out. We have the uh, milk chocolate stout coming out from Hugo's, but you have to go to the brewery actually to get that one. Um, you know, one of the other nice things recently has been that we can use the beer garden a little bit for R&D. We can do smaller one-off batches, um, see what the reception is. For example, uh, a year ago, you could have gone to the brewery and got hot pun IPA with grapefruit. That is what became Texas Winter IPA. So we, we kind of use the beer garden a little bit as a lab these days, along with all of our regular beers. Well, and, and I was wondering if the ability to sell beer to go has changed anything for you or if you've, if you've thought about doing limited releases that are only sold at the brewery. So for us, beer to go is tiny. Um, when you can go to grocery stores and liquor stores and buy art car and lawnmower, there's not much incentive to go to the brewery and buy it. And we're not going to undercut our retailers. You know, that would be suicide. So for, for us, that doesn't, um, that's never going to be a big part of our business. Now, we do play around with things and we come up we'll end up with two or three barrels of, of a beer that we'll have been playing with, tested. We really like two or three barrels is not enough to send into the market. So that now we have a way we can package that and we can sell that to go. And we do have a couple things, uh, the milk stout, uh, the chocolate milk stout that's coming out uh, this week that, will just be at the beer garden. We have another one called uh, Just Haze, which is a hazy big IPA. Um, that'll also be at the beer garden. That'll be coming out in a couple weeks. Yeah, I was I was wondering about, you know, it seems like there's always trends in beer, and, and I guess we're kind of living in a in a haze moment. When do you when do you decide like this is worth putting our spin on, or when do you decide like we're not we're not, we're not going to mess with that. That's not a fit for us. Um, yeah, we do that with a lot of beers. Um, that, the whole hazy thing is a little, frankly, beyond me. Uh, I, it, it, as someone observed to me recently, it, it like goes against generations of beer production, not to, not to clarify it. Yeah, I mean, when you clarify beer, first off, it, it takes a lot of skill to clarify beer. Um, also, a lot of the things that you're removing when you clarify beer are compounds, polyphenols, things that give off flavors, things that will stale quickly. Um, so it actually makes for a much uh, a beer that, that will drink fresh for much longer when you clarify it typically. Um, you know, when we decided that we were going to do a double IPA a couple years ago when uh, Brash contacted us about doing a collaboration, although we informed them that legally we actually can't collaborate with them because technically they're a brew pub and we're a brewery, so we're different tiers. And I won't bore people with the TABC laws there. But I said, wouldn't it just be funny if we're just going to brew a, a beer called not a collaboration? Yes, and, and with, with a Brash-style logo. Exactly. So we had a lot of fun with that, but one of the first things we did is we got a bunch of hazy IPAs and drank them and went, huh, these are not beers that we would release from our brewery ever. <laughs> so then came the challenge of let's come up with a hazy IPA that we really like. And for the record, uh, just haze is actually the re-release of our, not a collaboration. Oh, good. I, I mean, I know, I, I think as I recall, it was, it was a minor sensation. It sold out quickly. Oh, it was delicious. It was yeah, really it was, good. It was pretty tasty. It was funny because Brash, they did a beer at the same time as us. Everybody said, oh, but you know, they taste different. It's like, yes, they're completely different beers. They're not collaborations. <laughs> we actually didn't do anything together. Uh, yeah, I'm very amused by the like social media uh, banter that you have with Brash. I saw, I saw they just were... Uh, Houston Press gave them Brewery of the Year. Um, 
you of course are the current culture map tastemaker awards brewery of the year so you're you're still our brewery of the year at least until the award ceremony in april but uh you congratulate saint arnold congratulated them and, and told people that they should um they should go there with their children and complain about the the music and uh and ask like why the arcade games are so old and and all the you know otherwise challenge all of the things that make brash brash yeah ben likes to troll us and we like to troll ben so uh it's you know they're recently it's funny they just announced that they're coming out with a new uh a new logo and and t-shirt and merchandise which i'm sure will follow and it's instead of saint arnold it's ain't arnold they just took the, <laughs> they just took the s off of our logo oh yeah but and, it's your font yes and uh we actually replied to them and it's funny because we replied to them completely tongue-in-cheek and most people get it and some people it's, it's just right over the head <laughs> like wow saint arnold can't take a joke it's like I don't actually think you read our <laughs> our post the right way, but yeah. sometimes those things get lost. Well, I, and I think part of what part of what gives you that like warm relationship is, of course, that you know Brash is related to Petrol Station, which has sold St. Arnold beers for for many years, and their their head brewer used to be a St. Arnold employee. Yeah, no, we have a great relationship with them, and and um, yeah, I, and I will compliment Brash on the fact that they can pull off something that, like, if we attempted to pull off exactly the same thing they do, we would crash and burn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have a lot of alumni that have kind of formed the backbone of of our current like brewing landscape. Yeah, we do, and that actually gives me a lot of satisfaction to see you know the people from St. Arnold, uh, you know, spread out and do different things. You know, we have a lot of people who've been at the brewery for a long time, and people who've left in, to do their own thing and and you know, we have a good relationship with everyone yeah i i mean there was that uh there were all those tribute beers what like a year or two ago for your was it your 25th anniversary uh yeah, that was yeah when was that was july it was about it was a year and a half ago yeah. about two years ago yeah i mean um, that's got to feel i mean again like this this is this is not a great question on my part but that's got to feel good right to 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 be held in in so much esteem by, by all the people who are uh, trying to sort of follow your footsteps. It keeps my ego well inflated. So as, <laughs> as, as my girlfriend likes to point out to me, I'm a minor celebrity, not major, mind you, just a minor. <laughs> yeah. I, I went to my, my high school reunion, my 20th high school reunion uh, a few years ago. And, and I'd, I'd been writing for a few years at that point, And, uh, someone who's in the local music scene that I went to high school with was like, Oh yeah, we're, we're what he called basic famous. It's like, it's not really, you're not, it's like, you know, big fish, little pond, right? There, there's people that we don't know who know who we are, but, but it's not like, it's not like I'm getting accosted at the grocery store or at least, you know, not, not very often. Exactly. Unfortunately, darn it. No, it's, it's, it's about the right. It's, it always, it's always a little bit, I mean, it's very flattering when someone comes up and is like, if I'm at like Truffle Masters or another food event, like, can I get a pic? I, you know, I read your stuff all the time. Can I get a picture with you? It's like, uh, yes, you may, but I don't know why you want one. <laughs> but I will happily take one. I just, I just don't get it. So, you talked about kind of being inspired by um, some of the smaller breweries when you when you built the beer garden. I mean, do you feel like is that kind of the new model for breweries in Houston? These like smaller neighborhoody you know, Holler, Bailison, Great Heights. I mean, is that kind of the new, do you think that's the new model or, or do you think that there's still room for like a, a big production brewery to kind of grow the way that St. Arnold has? I would say that there are going to be very few breweries in the future nationally who grow to, you know, the 50,000 barrel mark. I think most... I would, 99 plus percent of the breweries that open are going to essentially be tap rooms, you know, and it's essentially, it's, it's the same thing as running a bar or a restaurant. Um, and there's always room for, you know, bars and restaurants there. That doesn't mean they're easy to operate and that, that they're all successful, but there's certainly room on the landscape for them. And I think that's what you're seeing. 
you know, there's a lot of people with passion for brewing and they want to take their hobby and turn it into a career. And it looks like a lot of fun when you see all of us hanging out and drinking beer. Um, they often discover that it's a lot more challenging of a business than they ever imagined. But, um, you know, it is, I think the tap rooms are certainly here to stay and I think you will continue to see more of them. Um, I don't expect to see many breweries successfully getting into wide distribution. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I guess the last, the last one to maybe kind of break through to that, even, you know, 10,000 barrels, which is, you know, I guess the last one is kind of what Eureka Heights probably is. the. Yeah. I think they're right about at that level now. Um, but yeah, they've done really well. Um, Casey, of course, he's, you know, used to work with us and is a great guy. So we always talk about this in, you know, people, people on the internet, especially people on Facebook love to talk about, you know, the restaurant scene is, is overcrowded. I'm, I'm a little more skeptical because I, I look around and see, you know, all the, all the cranes and the, all the cranes rising in the air and all the new uh, residential properties being built and feel like we still have some room for growth. But, um, do you feel like we've hit sort of peak brewery or, or do you think, or, or where do you see the growth coming? That is a question that we ask ourselves a lot. And if we all had crystal balls, um, it, it would be really helpful. I think kind of to make an analogy to restaurants, I think there is room for more good breweries to open. If the quality of your beer is not up to snuff, um, I don't believe the public is going to be super forgiving because there's other there's plenty of examples out there of good beer. You know, there was a time years ago when you could start off your beer could be kind of mediocre, and there was just so much excitement about you know, a brewery being new and there's people wanting the uh, every establishment to succeed that they'd be carried along until. Hope they either improve their beer, in which case they succeeded and are still around, or they didn't improve their beer and then they finally would go away. Um, you know, I think we are close to peak brewery, though, to answer your question. Um, how it evolves and what it exactly looks like, I'm not sure. But I do think in the next few years, you're going to see the, the number of closings start to pick up. I still think you're going to see a high number of openings, um, but I just think you're going to see it level off because more breweries are disappearing. And for the most part, they're going to be breweries that you never heard of, and that's why they disappear. Um, there are probably some breweries that people are aware of that are struggling financially right now. Um, ones that have gotten, who expanded got out a little over their skis and were betting on the come and, and their growth never materialized. And those guys are probably uh, a little bit more challenged. And I think we'll see a handful of those kinds of closings um, or being acquired by somebody else. But I do believe we're going to continue to see breweries open. It's just going to start to be matched by the number of breweries closing. Right. So more, so again, if, if new breweries are sort of more like restaurants where they're sort of independently owned and focused on a neighborhood or two, then, you know, it makes sense maybe that, that they would have a life cycle like some restaurants do. Yeah. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. And I think another challenge that'll start to occur, and this won't become an issue for a while, but when you're a small brewery and tap room, you don't really have enterprise value. In other words, you, know, you have, it's, it's like a, a small restaurant. You are running it, your net income is essentially your own salary, whoever owns it and is running it. Um, so if somebody else wants to come in and buy the business, they're really buying a job. They're not right. buying a brand and, and a company that, that has, attain the point to which it has true enterprise value. So I think that's going to be a challenge for people as, as they go down the road that running a brewery is hard. And at some point, you know, when you're young, it's great and fun, 
you get a few years on you and it and if you're still the one who's having to do a lot of the brewing and detail work and cleaning the the glamour level begins to drop yeah just like you don't see a lot of 55 year old sous chefs right you you're not going to see a lot of you know teeny tiny breweries with people in their 50s you know still you know brewing the beer and cleaning the bathrooms every day yeah it's not a great retirement business um well so let me ask you what do you what do you i mean we're seeing you know breweries in Houston kind of expand into different fields i mean you know a couple of people are talking about distilleries um i thought it was interesting that that urban south a brewery from new orleans is opening a satellite brewery in Houston i mean do you do you look at any of those kind of opportunities and think they might be a fit for you uh, we certainly do. We, we look at a lot of different things. Um, we've played around with distilling. Um, we've done some some tests on things. And uh, yeah, guess what? I, I don't drink only beer. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we, came, we came out with cider uh, a little over a year ago, and that's been kind of a fun little side project for us. Um, yeah, we are constantly looking at what... What do we need to do so that we are thriving 20 years from now? And trying to read the landscape, think what things do we really enjoy and are passionate about. And, you know, there are so many opportunities out there and we're, and so many unknowns also. So it's been a real challenge and, and we've had a lot of internal discussions about it. But... Do you, do you, the short answer is yes. We do look at all those things. Do you, you think you'll open a tap room in another city at some point? Is that one of your goals? I would say ten years from now. And then, if we did not have another tap room going someplace, I would be surprised. All right. Well, Brock, before I, I, I'm, I've, I've kept you here long enough. But before I let you go, we have to, uh, to go through the lightning round. Okay, I'm ready. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, Brock Wagner, what was your what was your aha beer, your first beer that you really remember? Christian Moorline, which was brewed by Hudipal Brewing. Uh, no, sorry, Shaneling Brewing in Cincinnati, Ohio. I was 16 with, with, with my dad, and my dad split the beer with me, and it was the first beer I ever had that, that I actually enjoyed you know, when he would split a, a bud or Meisterbrow with me. It wasn't nearly the same. Yeah. All right. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? <laughs> oh no. Do I really have to answer that? Tears for fears. I, I think that's a great answer. I, I've got no problem with that answer. <laughs> uh, who is your favorite Houston sports figure past or present? Oh, uh, gosh. Um, well, the, I'll tell you the one who I enjoy talking with quite a bit is Jeff Blum. Yeah, and you guys have—he's—he's—you've got a relationship with him. He, he does some events with the with the brewery. Yeah, we do. Um, you know, I certainly love listening to his broadcast of the Astros. I'm a huge Astros fan, and uh, you know, Jeff—you can find him at the beer garden enjoying a beer sometimes, and I'll come over and pester him a little bit and, and then try to leave him alone. My favorite question to him the other day was, so when you were playing, what what was your favorite signal for uh, if somebody was, was stealing signs? And he said, oh, that's easy. Last name, first name. If I hear, if I hear let's go, Blummer, I, I know the fastball's coming. If I hear, come on, Jeff, get a hit, I know off-speed is coming. So apparently people have been working on uh, picking up tells and signs for a long time yeah uh yeah this is not a not a huge surprise um all right what is your fast food guilty pleasure it has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru big mac and then finally uh what are your what are your favorite pizza toppings what is your what is your go-to combination uh ham and onions the uh i will say that the the maryland pizza at star pizza that is pretty damn good. I'm a Joe's guy, but I respect your. Uh, so typical order in my household, yeah, is a uh, New York whole wheat, half Maryland, half Joe. I like it. Uh, Brock, give us the website and the social media for Saint Arnold. It is Saint Arnold 
Sainthearnold.com, spelled out. So it's S-A-I-N-T-A-R-N-O-L-D.com. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Enjoyed right. it. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.